and call me a coward Say that I'm not strong because I'm not like you Go ahead and call me crazy because I live in a maze Tell me how about you I think I live in my head Sometimes I think that I'm dead I hide behind my youth No, I've been losing my mind and I'm a little behind Step aside my shoes Cause I never been happy with myself And I don't need no one feeling bad for me Trying to offer me pity and throw jabs at me Wanna give me advice and then laugh at me Behind closed doors, just close the door And let me be by myself Just me and myself I'm tired of living, I cry, here it's easy to die I wanna see for myself And I know that sounds crazy to everyone else But I'm depressed as fuck, stressed as fuck Ain't no medicine that can cure us intense drugs I need I need extra love and that ain't even enough So that ain't even enough And where the fuck is God? Yeah. Maybe I ain't believing enough But today we gonna see if he's real And if he is, then I guess I'm probably going to hell Look, I ain't wanna die like this I ain't picture my life like this They don't know what it's like like this Pretending I'm happy so I can smile like this And laugh like you Sometimes I wonder if I ever act like you Could I finally fit in and maybe relax like, ooh Or would you feel lost without me? Cause honestly, I think the world is better off without me And my mind's spinning This is the line finish Truth is I don't care how they feel about my feelings I made up my mind I'm going now like Robin Williams I guess I'm not the ordinary people of John Legend And I've been suicidal since the day I was nine Shit Okay, the day I was nine I've been tired of being bullied Cause I stay out the fire Grandma told me I should take it one day at a time And damn it, look at me now Fuck Fuck Pen running out Look, it's known it's a new day But if you're reading this, then it's probably too late Just make sure you tell my family it's okay I'm sorry, but it's too late I'm sorry, so much waiting on me I don't wanna live to see another day I'm sorry, but I can't stay I'm sorry, so much waiting on me Just make sure you tell my family it's okay I'm sorry, but it's too late I'm sorry Behaving yourself. And what the fuck you gotta say for yourself? 
Look, I really feel lost without you. I hate the fact you think the world is better off without you. And my mind's spinning. This is the line finish. Truth is, I don't care how you feel about my feelings. And I'd be lying to you if I told you a fine listen. I know that you can hear me. All I need is like five minutes. I just want to reach inside the casket and pull you out. I'm sorry, this is something that we both couldn't figure out. I wish I could hear you now. Is your soul missing? I wonder if you could do it again. Would you do it different? Tell me what death is like. Was it meant for you, Brody? Did the heaven support it? Are you fucking happy now? Did you get what you wanted? Isn't this what you wanted? I feel the temperature falling and you've been suicidal back then, you were not. Yeah, even back then you was not. We was living on the edge, couldn't stay out the fire. Grandma told us we should take it one day at a time. And damn it, look at you now. But it's a new day. And if you can't hear me, then it's probably too late. Fuck! Just make sure you tell my family it's okay I'm sorry, but it's too late I'm sorry, too much waiting on me I don't wanna let you see another day I'm sorry, but I can't stay I'm sorry, so much waiting on me Just make sure you tell my family it's okay I'm sorry, but it's too late I'm sorry, so much waiting on me I don't wanna let you see another day having the opportunity to have a better life for themselves or for their children, if they have the chance to scale a wall, to swim across a river, they're going to take it. And the sad thing is, most Americans don't know what freedom really is. We will move forward to pass comprehensive immigration reform and a path towards citizenship. They are laying waste to the very American Republic that has been the greatest country in the history of the world. I did agree with some of the things that Donald Trump did, right, because I do believe that there should be a vetting process. Is that unreasonable to ask? 
Make sure you don't, you're not affiliated with any gangs. Why would we want you here? Get out. The majority of the crimes that I prosecute as the chief law enforcement officer in Suffolk County are citizens of this country. We grow enough here, we don't need to import more. If I could deport them, I would. USA! 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 Life hard is so hard in Haiti or in the country that they have before, they'll take the risk of getting caught. If you have five, ten thousand dollars to pay a coyote to bring you illegally across the border, pay to apply and come here legally. She always said that, like, my situation is different, that I don't have the same opportunities as everyone else. I'm not going to tell you about their life wall. I'm not going to tell you about how they got here. I'm not going to tell you about the journey they're experiencing. No, that doesn't matter. Them, they. Sooner or later, I started to get brought into like meetings with lawyers. On day one, we end a border policy which allows federal agents to snatch babies from the arms of their mothers. That's when I realized like I'm an outcast. Where is my protection? Where is my family's protection? I need to know who you are because if I sneak into Mexico and I commit a crime, there's no documentation of me being in Mexico. We come from you know, maybe different backgrounds where we share similar experiences. I am you. you. I, I am, am you. In the end, we remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. Brockton is proud to be the city of champions. With a rich sports history, Brockton is the hometown of boxing greats Rocky Marciano and marvelous Marvin Hagler. The city's athletic legacy continues with the success of Brockton High School sports teams. Known for athletic excellence and good sportsmanship, the BHS athletic program was selected as the number one athletic program in Massachusetts by Sports Illustrated. The school's Brockton boxers have been a longtime powerhouse in high school football. In fact, the BHS football program has been regarded as one of the most storied, successful, and dominant high school football programs of all time. The BHS boys soccer team recently won their first state championship in 2017, leading them to be ranked seventh on USA Today's list of top high school soccer teams across the country. These are just some of the many reasons why Brockton is the city of champions. Sugar the Play will premiere for two shows on September 17th at 3 p.m. and 7 p.m. inside the beautiful Front Stage Multiplex located at 3492 Mayfield Road in Cleveland Heights, Ohio. For more information, please follow Sugar the Play on Facebook. Sugar the Play is a cash team production.
Cause I never back down I'm that chick with a clean ass way Fighting critters in the front yard Ever feel like you're in the front lines? You buy tons of name brand canned killers That swear up and down They'll take out the problem first spray Well, our intel says otherwise Forget all that Call us, Old Colony Pest Control. Tell them that Red Revere sent you. We handle commercial and residential pest control needs. Take care of anything from ants, roaches, ticks, mosquitoes, rats, and more. No wildlife or termites at this time. Call us at 774-400-5993, and we'll bring in the big guns. Hi, my name is Jennifer. I'm your neighbor from just down the street. I also ride a motorcycle, so please check twice. Save a life. Motorcycles are everywhere. For more information on sharing the road, visit mass.gov slash RMV. Hi, I'm Zachariah Sefka from American Hustle. You're listening to Hoobazoo Radio on In 1973, the United States Supreme Court issued its decision in Roe v. Wade. The effect of the court's ruling was immediate and far-reaching, expanding the right to privacy under the 14th Amendment and altering the legal landscape on the issue of abortion across the country. Norma McCorvey, a single pregnant woman in Texas, sought an abortion. At the time, Texas law prohibited abortions unless performed or obtained to save the life of the mother. To protect her privacy, McCorvey filed suit in federal court under the name Jane Roe. The defendant was Henry Wade, the district attorney in the Texas county where McCorvey sought the abortion. Roe argued that the abortion ban was unconstitutional and asked the court to issue an order that would stop Texas from enforcing the law. The district court found the Texas restriction on abortion unconstitutional on the grounds that the statute was too vague and overly broad and impinged on the rights reserved to people under the Ninth Amendment. However, the court didn't issue an injunction to bar Texas from enforcing its ban, so Roe's options in Texas really didn't change. Arguing that the district court's lack of injunctive relief was insufficient, Roe appealed directly to the Supreme Court. It's your boy Sinistorm broadcasting live from the City of Champions. You are listening and watching the booth. Make sure to click that subscribe button. I actually decided to bypass today's intro of the show because I, I've got a lot of things that I want to get off my chest and talk about today. And it's just weird how things work out. It's first Tuesdays. But before I get into this, i got to thank uh, my guest two weeks ago, Josh McDaniels, a Double Back Winery from Drew Bledsoe's Wine Company for coming on. Also, my special guest, Crystal Tyson. As you guys see, my first Tuesday guests are on with me right now. Ken Diesel, R-Squared. Um, May is Your Mind Matters Month, 
and this is Mental Health Awareness Month. And if you guys were watching the show before we went live, there was a music video by Join the Lucas called I'm Sorry, which deals with a very, very open look at suicide and mental health. Um, my sponsors for the show, Michael Douglas, Beretto, MDB Electronics, Viana Marie, find her music streaming everywhere. Tactical Target Systems is where you can get those zombie targets that you see me with at the range. Also, our last t-shirt winner is actually is Felicia, but I do have a winner from last week. I just have to get that shirt out to him. Chris is the winner from last week. And Old Colony Pest Control, Carbonell, veteran-owned residential and commercial, 774-400-5993. And um, we're going to get right into the news booth. And the only story that I'm going to mention today that's outside of the, what we are going to talk about is Naomi Judd. And the reason why I'm mentioning this, rest in peace, 76 years old, is because we are in May National Mental Health Awareness. And the sad news has now come out that Naomi Judd, 76 years old, a country music legend, took her own life after suffering from mental health problems. Um, you know, Wyona and, and the other daughters, they, they released a statement. Ashley Judd, the actress, um, they released a statement about their mother who said that, you know, she was battling severe mental illness and she succumbed to her mental illness over the weekend. Um, they were set to receive a country music award. Um, and, you know, our, our prayers go out to that family. Kevin Jeffries, I see you in the chat. Vianna Marie, I see you in the chat. Before this show began, um, you guys saw a little breakdown, a little origin from Quimby about the Roe versus Wade which was put into place in 1973. Now, I was just a kid then, but I remember how big it was. I remember um, people protesting down on Beacon Street at the clinics in, in downtown Boston. Um, we had terrorist acts. We've had people shoot up abortion clinics. We've had people bombing abortion clinics. I've got some questions here to relate to these guys. Now, you guys know my two guys are on the first of the month. Ken Diesel, R Squared, I already know their credentials, but when we have a solid show such as this, where we're, you know a lot of people on social media, a lot of people are talking back and forth on social media, but a lot of people don't have the credibility or the credits to talk about the legal aspect. So I'm going to let my guys introduce themselves, and tonight I'm going to take the time to let them speak about you know how long they've been in law and, and the experience that they have. Um, I do this when we have a special show, and if you're a new listener, I want you to know that these are guys. They know what they're talking about. So I'm going to start with Ken Diesel, upper left. Let them know who you are, your credentials, and, and how long you've been in this game. Well, thank you very much, Mr. One. Um, quick background. I'm a licensed, I'm a licensed attorney who's been practicing civil litigation, among others, and criminal defense for 20 years. I graduated law school in 1992. I hold a, um, a master's of law in LLM. Both Rob and I actually went to the same law school. He was my mentor in law school, my legal research advisor. And I've been practicing in the field of civil litigation. And matter of fact, I have been uh, representing clients in Massachusetts who have sought abortions uh, when they were in fact minors in Massachusetts, you are not allowed to get an abortion. If you are a minor, you must get parental consent. However, in cases of abuse and other things, you may seek permission from the court to get the court authorization to give to allow the minor to have an abortion. Basically, basically the court comes in steps and comes in loco parenti 
in place of parent. And there are attorneys both who get paid by the state and who volunteer, I'm a volunteer, through a number of organizations who represent clients at no charge to do that. Uh, I haven't done a lot of those cases. They're far and few between, thank God. Because most uh, parents, at least here in Massachusetts, if their child needs to get an abortion, is very supportive of it. But I will say it's a very traumatic experience when a 16-year-old has to go in front of a juvenile judge and ask for and ask for permission. It's not a fun experience. That's my background really quick. I square them. I'll let you get into this. All right. My background's not all that different from Ken's. Uh, actually, it's quite different, but I studied uh, political science in, in my undergrad, where I specialized in American government and comparative government, which fueled my interest, of course, in the law, and I graduated law school in 1991. I spent most of my legal career on active duty in the U.S. Army as a judge advocate, as you always kindly note on the show, and a lot of that was uh, doing criminal law, criminal trials. Uh, which would be, I suppose, among my main expertise. I've also spent time doing constitutional law and, and some other areas to include ethics, professional responsibility and investigations and things of that nature. For the last several years, I've been teaching, uh, teaching criminal justice and, uh, and related issues down here uh, where I live. And so uh, I come to the show with an, an understanding of the background of these issues and wanting to share uh, what the law says and, and help people understand what government actions and policies mean. And we're going we're gonna to get into this because, um, you know, this, this story came out last night. It was, you know, my son Terrell Hayes and Tyreek, uh, we have a group chat, me and my sons, and we talk about certain things. And my son hit me up and says, hey, did you see the news? And I was actually getting ready to head to bed. He says, did you see the news about Roe versus Wade? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, oh, it's about to be overturned. I'm like, you serious? And, you know, and I went and I looked it up and I got the information. And I was like, whoa, this is going to be big when people wake up in the morning. Because it was late. When this came out, it was late last night. A lot of people um, woke up this morning and guess what? The, the storm, the S storm came to be from this morning um, till five o'clock today, and it hasn't ended. And I just want to say one thing, and I'm going to let, I'm going to start off, I'm going to, I'm going to go back and forth with my questions with these guys, because uh, I'm going to get into the first question. Um, this whole thing started because political put the story out there, and now there's an investigation wondering as to who leaked this draft, which was drawn up in February to Politico, who un unleashed this whole storm. Um, Samuel Alito is the guy who wrote the draft opinion. Now, for those who don't know, the Supreme Court has not overturned Roe versus Wade yet, even though there's going to be a lot of people out there who don't pay attention to anything and don't read or don't listen. They're going to think that it's been overturned and they're out there. You see them in the streets already. You see them on Facebook already. You see them all talking about it. But it has not been overturned yet. So my first question is going to go to Ken Diesel, who spent a lot of time in politics. And I want you to explain to people what the draft opinion from the Supreme Court is. This is not something really etched in stone because they still have to vote. All of this uproar and everything could be all for naught if the Supreme Court decides that they, they're going to vote and keep rolling weight in place. So I want you to explain what a draft opinion is, Ken. Okay, very simply. As you may or may not know, there are nine justices in the Supreme Court. When they take a vote, usually the, depending on which side you are, the senior justice or the chief justice, depending on 
what side you're on, either gets to write the opinion or assign it to someone else. When they do that, they write the opinion and they send drafts to the other eight justices for their comments. And this goes on for a period of time. They will comment saying, I want this, I don't want that, I don't want this. There may be times where a justice may vote with the majority and file we call a concurring opinion, meaning there's the opinion of the court or the opinion of the majority, and the justice agrees with the finding but disagrees for the reason they will file a concurring opinion. If they just disagree with the decision, they file what they call a dissent. And they and then what happens is the dissent side, if it wasn't the chief justice, the senior member gets to write it or assign it to someone else, and they circulate address among that. So what you have is a number of draft opinions deciding what they're going to finally say. Is it possible that they'll change their minds? Yes, of course it's possible. Nothing is set in stone until the actual opinion is issued. I will say this, in my entire legal career, and Rob can correct me if I'm wrong, I don't remember ever a draft opinion coming out before a final decision was filed by the court. This is the first time I've ever heard it in my legal career. The, uh, these opinions are usually kept under literally lock and key and no one talks. Uh, this is frankly shocking to me, shows you how earth shattering this is, actually going out to give an opinion. Although Chief Justice Roberts did say that the opinion that Politico had was in fact a legitimate draft yeah. of the court and looks like, it looks like it was going to be the majority. But you're right. Until the Supreme Court actually publishes the opinion of the court, which is either a unanimous opinion, which is very, very, very rare, or the opinion of the majority, in this case, five votes, because there are nine justices, there is nothing has been changed. And we don't know exactly what the decision is going to say. And I'll get into that in a second. We talk about Planned Parenthood versus Casey versus Ro and Roe v. Wade. There's a lot of distinctions we need to draw. But you are correct, uh, since when this is just a draft, and that's exactly what it is. If I may bring it into um, a football equivalent, this is the basically the Supreme Court version of a mock draft. Everybody can, you know, say what they want, but until the actual draft occurs, that's just everyone's opinion. Uh, Squid, anything to add to your, uh, your, what is a draft opinion? Very quickly, I think Ken did a great job of laying it out. And, and what I would add to that is simply, you know, it appears from the discussion and, and from what's been part of the, the leaked opinion that there are at least five justices on the court that are going to take this side of the case, meaning they're going to side with the state that is trying to have the court uh, allow it to continue its its regulation, its ban of abortion, which is what the have, have the case goes up there, and three justices, possibly four, that are going to take the side of, uh, of, of maintaining Roe versus Wade or maintaining abortion rights against the states that have recently passed the, you know, the abortion laws that have banned abortions mm -hmm. after 15 weeks and no exceptions for rape or incest. Those are the issues before the court. And so that aspect of it seems fairly straightforward. And I don't expect that to change, whether it, you know, it, it could be five, it could be six, it could be you know, whatever. But as Ken pointed out, there could be concurrences. And what Justice Alito's draft is, is one version of what that majority opinion could say. His opinion could also become a concurring opinion where that's not the reflection of the majority of those five or even six. And so it may be that the state still wins, but not for the reasons or not with the language of Justice Alito's draft. And so that's why I think people have to be very careful to not read too much into this. This is his opinion. 
And we know that there are a couple of other justices, specifically Clarence Thomas, that agrees with him. And But the question might be that there might be three or more justices on that side of the issue that would rather give different language, different reasoning, different rationale, different characterization of Roe versus Wade or abortion or the right to privacy in the way that they announce the opinion. And so this may or may not be the opinion of the Supreme Court. We do have pretty firm belief that this will be the side that wins the case, but that does not mean exactly what's going to happen. So people need to be patient until approximately sometime in June when they release this. This is the normal way that the Supreme Court operates. They, in cases like this, they circulate opinions among the nine justices for about four to five months. That's what's common. And so this, this started circulating in February. That's only been a few months. And June is right on target for them to announce the decision. And at that point, and only at that point, will we see. The issue of the leak is, as Ken asked me to confirm, yes, this is the only time I have ever heard of any type of leak like this. It is a big deal. The Chief Justice has ordered an investigation, and, uh, and, and we will find out. If there is someone associated with the Supreme Court that intentionally leaked it, then there needs to be follow-on action, accountability of some kind, whatever that, whatever the chief justice decides and, and, and go from there. I don't wanna make assumptions. I do wanna point out one thing, if this is the right opportunity to say that. I was watching coverage off and on today while in, in between other things mm -hmm. I was doing, in between working, of course. Uh, and, and one of the uh, uh, correspondents uh, that I was listening to was Pete Williams. I don't know if people know Pete Williams from NBC News. Pete Williams was a member of the Reagan administration for most of Reagan's eight years. And at the end of Reagan's uh, time, uh, he left the administration, got a job with NBC News where he was doing the Pentagon coverage and then became the legal correspondent where he covers the Supreme Court. He's been doing it for a number of years. I find him very well informed, very credible. Uh, he's, he's not very political or partisan. He's pretty much trying to explain process and, and you know, he, he gets advanced copies of the opinions and tries to share with the viewers what the opinions say and what they don't say because of all the hysteria that circles around some of these big opinions. I listened to Pete Williams earlier today and somebody asked him, I forgot who the, the host of the show was, I don't remember what show I was watching, but they asked him, who does he think would leak this? Who would benefit from leaking? And it was very interesting to listen to him speak because he mm -hmm. laid out, and this is all speculation, of course, he has no knowledge right. that it was a leak or, or who did it. But he was saying, hypothetically, would it be to the advantage of Justice Alito or, or Justice Thomas or somebody like that to have leaked it? Would it be to the advantage of one of the dissenting justices, someone on the other side of the issue to have leaked it? And at the end of some very interesting conversation, uh, there really wasn't an advantage to either side in doing this. Um, not, not, the, not, a, not a clear advantage where you could say, aha, this is why somebody might have done it, even though it's the wrong thing to do. It is the wrong thing mm -hmm. to do. But it, it, so at the end of the day, we, we may or may not be surprised if, in fact, there was a leak. This could have been a hacking, not by Politico. I'm not making that assumption. I'm not a conspiracy theorist here. Uh, somebody may have given it to Politico as as a source that they read online and, and perhaps, you know, and Politico did some due diligence before they released it to verify that <clears throat> it did come from the Supreme Court. So somebody leaked it. And I think there needs to be accountability for that. We can't have this type of precedent. It's a big deal. Uh, it's wrong no matter who did it and no matter for what reason they did it. But I can't right now, I, I don't see who it would have helped to do it. So it's interesting, just interesting to see where this goes.
and the question kind of is, is how much more did they have? Um, you know, it's funny because we talk about whose was released. Now, if you've been watching the booth and you've been hearing us talk about SCOTUS, uh, Squid, this next question was for you. You've mentioned Samuel Alito on this show several times about his background and some of his, you know, his things that, you know, he's, he's kept it out of court, but his beliefs. And I'm going to let you talk about, cause you've mentioned him on this show several times about who he is kind of just a quick breakdown. Well, it's interesting. Firstly, you know, to respond to what you just said, it, it's interesting. You said, what else might they have had? Whoever did the leaking. And because remember, there may be nine opinions floating around just because we, we have been able to see justice Alito's draft there may be nine drafts floating around, one by each of the justices, because they would have all taken a shot at this to see where the votes line up and who supports what arguments and, and where it all comes down, like I said earlier. So there may very well be nine. Did the person who leak have access to all nine and chose simply to release Alito's because there was something about the language in there? There was some pretty incendiary language about the Roe versus Wade opinion in there that is, is a little bit unprecedented by the court. And that may be, I think, what you're asking me to comment on in a moment, mm -hmm. which I will. But uh, other than that, why wouldn't they leak other? I mean, if you have access to this draft, you would have access to all of them, assuming you're an employee of the court and the justices. And the, the clerks, you know, each justice has several clerks. They're very well vetted. They have you know, professional standards. This would end their career. Uh, I suppose a justice could do it. They might be impeached for doing something like that. It would be very, very interesting you know, to see. But anyway, um, getting back to your question then, uh, Justice Alito was appointed by George W. Bush, and he was, I think, arguably Bush's most extreme appointee. Every president who gets multiple appointees has a range. Like, you know, you have President Reagan, whose first appointee was Sandra Day O'Connor, who I think regardless of what side of legal issues you're on, everybody respected Sandra Day O'Connor. She was an excellent justice. Uh, even if you didn't agree with her on everything, I think she was very well respected. He uh, also appointed as the second justice, Anthony Scalia, right? Antonin Scalia. And Scalia, everybody respected him as a brilliant person, a brilliant legal mind, very well-written, well-spoken, um, no slouch. You, you would have to be extremely well-prepared to even have a, con a casual conversation with that man. Uh, but a lot of people found his opinions controversial. Uh, and, and, you know, it, it, it's interesting. There are actually opinions that he wrote that Ken and I would be on opposite sides of, for those of you who pay attention to the booth, uh, when involving the criminal justice system. His opinions were not all political in nature. In fact, the Supreme Court, the vast majority of its opinions have no political undertones. Abortion is a fraction of a percentage of the cases that they deal with. And we shouldn't judge the justices just on that one issue. And that's why I think the confirmation hearings are such a darn joke, because they're so focused on whether Roe versus Wade is precedent and whether they would promise to not overturn it or to overturn it based on which side you're appeasing. Uh, it, it's absolutely ridiculous because there are so many more cases that the court's going to hear. And that's where I want the justices to do a good job, you know, in 99 percent of their cases. But anyway, so Alito uh, had a very interesting confirmation. If you were a court watcher, which I was because of going to school and, and what have you, I always watched the confirmation hearings. They've been a disaster for decades. It's not a recent problem, although it's getting worse or has gotten worse. Mm -hmm. um, Alito said some interesting things in his confirmation. And then, you know, after being confirmed, uh, he, some of his opinions, he has been among the more acerbic authors. 
And what I mean by that is he writes in his opinions, not just his legal conclusions, but he uses some more extreme language. He's highly critical to include of his colleagues or to include of other judicial colleagues when they're reviewing the work of other courts. He, uh, I suppose you, when you say you want people to be direct, he doesn't mince words. I, I would credit people for being that way. But I think to some extent, he goes out of his way to almost add partisanship into his opinions. And I don't think he needs to do that because he, you know, you could agree or disagree with him. It's he, he didn't. He certainly did not lack the qualifications to go to the court. The question was, would he be confirmed uh, after a discussion of his beliefs and his ideology, his philosophy, his approach to the court and to the, the role of the Supreme Court? And so, you know, it, it was not the easiest confirmation, but he got through. And uh, I think what you have seen in his opinions, and sometimes he's in the majority, sometimes he's in the minority. Uh, and I, I read both his, his uh, opinions on both sides because sometimes I quote him on the dissenting side as, as legal wisdom that I think is worthy of consideration and study. Uh, when, I, when I teach these, these uh, cases to my classes, the first thing I always tell the students is, listen, I will never advocate one side of any of these issues, but I will, painstakingly go through the analysis so that you understand what the justices of the court have said in these opinions and what it means. And then you can form your own conclusions and take your own positions and you can argue them as much as you want to, but we're not gonna shy away from that. And so there are times when I have been praiseworthy of justices who I've disagreed with because they've written an excellent opinion. There are times I have criticized justices that I did agree with because I didn't think the opinion was very well written or, or could have been done in a much better fashion. And so it's, it's really very interesting to watch that. If you're a court watcher, and I know Ken is as well, you get a sense if you read the opinions, not just these, these sensational opinions that come out once every four or five years where you know the, so many people in the country get excited for a few days. I'm talking about if you're a court watcher and you watch all of their opinions or most of their opinions that come down, the things that never make the news, but that influence the day-to-day -day practice of law in the United States. And when you read those cases, you get a sense of who the justices are. And there are certainly a lot of cases that have been issued over the years, um, justices who are no longer serving, who have, who have since died, uh, you know, justices from the 1970s, 1980s, even the 1950s or 60s, their opinions are still very valid. And if you study the court and you take constitutional law classes, which go into detail in Supreme Court cases, you get a sense of, of all these different justices and you see their name on an opinion and you could say, ah, it's gonna sound like this. It's gonna have this type of philosophy and, and, and what have you. So it, that's the way to look at the Supreme Court. And I think that's a healthy way to look at the Supreme Court and, and not to keep trying to have, you know, to ascribe the court in playing politics. I think that's a mistake. They do sometimes, some justices do on certain issues and deserve criticism when they do that. But I prefer to look at the court in its, in its proper role, in its constitutional role in Article Three of the Constitution and the, and the authorities and responsibilities that it has. I will criticize all nine justices when they deserve it based on how they write uh, or how they speak. And I will praise all nine when I believe that they have issued a good opinion. Sorry, Anything that was a little add? longer than I expected. No, no, no. That's that's perfect. This is this is why we're here tonight. And you know, I I I, I look. I scrapped an entire show tonight because I feel that this is important to talk about. And there was a lot of questions that popped up. 
you know, a lot of people will say, oh, you, you're a know-it-all. I'm, I'm not a know-it-all. You know, I, I only talk about stuff that I know. If I don't know, I'm going to sit here and listen to these guys and learn, and then I'll be able to talk about this if someone asks me that question. So these are the questions that I'm posing to you guys, and I'm glad that you guys are able to answer and give us some answers. And for those who don't understand, because there's a lot of people running with this whole thing, like this is going to happen, and it's, it's not. It, again, this was an opinion. This was an opinion of one of the Supreme Court justices, and at this time it is not etched in stone, but... There are people who worry, who have worries, and that's going to be one of the questions coming up. Uh, Ken, do you have anything you want to add about Samuel Alito? Any opinions? Just very briefly, I agree with everything Rob said, but it's very important to understand, as Rob pointed out, there are probably nine opinions out there. We do not know if Alito was tasked with writing the majority opinion or whether he's writing one of the what we call the concurrent. Occurring opinions. That can be very important because it's just not enough to say, okay, we're overturning Roe v. Wade. What exactly does this mean? And I think we need to go into exactly what Roe v. Wade said. And I also think we need to go into what Planned Parenthood versus Casey said, which is a very important case. Well, that's, which that's no one ever my talks next question about. for you. <laughs> this is so my next it's question. It's very important. you know. And also, as Rob says, it takes about four <laughs> to five months. That's true before an opinion comes down. And that's and if you listen to any of the Supreme Court justice, they say that the whole process of writing the opinion oftentimes changes the way the outcome will happen. Not necessarily the vote, but what the way how it's going to be enforced, what it's going to be said. So them taking a snapshot at this basically rough draft is really, I think, a lot of people being, I wouldn't say unduly concerned, I would say they're pr premature because once this decision comes down, lawyers like myself and Rob are going to go look into it. What exactly does this mean? I'm going to get into that into a, a second, how this is going to come, come down and what does it mean for states versus federal uh, versus uh, cross state lines and other, other issues. Because one of the important things in Texas law that almost no one talks about is Texas not only banned abortion in Texas, but also made it a criminal offense for you to leave Texas and go to it. another state to have an abortion. Now, the problem with that is, and I don't know if you want to get, let me get it now, the full faith and credit. Well, didn't, didn't they put Texas, but also put like a, a like a snitch, like bounty right, snitch also into place. Yeah. Right. If you, if you snitch on someone right. that goes out of state, you, you collect the friggin' a stipend, right. which is crazy. Right, but that's but that really that's that's that they can do, I think, under uh, certain doctrines. But the question is, can Texas make it illegal for you to leave the state to perform a legal procedure in another state? Now, most constitutional scholars, and I think Rob would agree with me. I'm sorry. No, no. Did I go jump ahead, ahead? real quick? Because no, because I think this is going to get into the question I have to ask. You. But say no, if you know there is there is you have an absolute <clears throat> right under the U.S. Constitution to travel from state to state without unduly, uh, an unduly restriction, unless you are subject to some type of judicial restraint, i.e. parole, probation, or something else like that. The state of Massachusetts, Massachusetts can't prevent me from going down to, I don't know, I'm trying, I'm trying to find a place, things that aren't, well, do an example. Prior, a couple of years ago, Colorado made it legal for the recreational use of marijuana. At the time, Massachusetts did not. Right. Now, could Massachusetts say, we are not going to allow you to go to Colorado for the purposes of buying and consuming marijuana products within the state of Colorado? 
I'm gonna be very careful about this. I'm not talking about going out in Colorado and bringing a product back into Massachusetts. Right. I'm simply saying going to Colorado and having a pot brownie, for lack of a better term. Now, mm -hmm. no such law existed in Massachusetts, and now we can use recreational marijuana. But the question is, most people would say, no, no, you can't. One state can enforce its laws on another state. The other problem is, what about the full faith and credit argument? States are required to give full faith and credit to each other's laws. So here you got a pro one of the problems you have is, if I've got, a, if Massachusetts says it's okay to commit an abortion, but Texas says not, you know, how do you balance that? And that's going to be an interesting thing in the decision. That's why you really, when you have some of these devices, this, you have a problem. But we'll say that for later in the conversation. So getting into my question for you, <clears throat> um, <clears throat> Senate Leader Chuck Schumer, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi said that the seismic, this is, if this happens, this will be huge this will be a slap in the face to women across america this will be one of the most historic overturns in the history of legal court now here in massachusetts today at city hall the aclu was joined by several members of boston government uh, rachel rollins was there mayor Wu was there they were all there and everybody was you know they're all talking the doom and gloom of what is going to happen now the ACLU and Rich, Rachel Rollins spoke eye-openly because we all know the ACLU was here in Massachusetts fighting for reproductive rights since yeah. since the 70s. Ken, you've been very close and involved mm -hmm. with the ACLU um, because at that time, you know, we did have abortion clinics in downtown Boston that were being attacked. We, we, we yep. had 24-hour cops outside of of clinics that people didn't know were clinics because remember people were so scared to go they were hiding their 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 places and then they had a whole network if people don't re remember there was a whole religious network of people who claimed they're religious and they actually hid the bomber remember we had the atlanta bombings down in atlanta yep. during the olympics and they actually hid this guy this guy was on the run and he was going to all these religious people's houses and they were hiding him out and they was feeding him and things of that sort so the a aclu has been one of the things they, they do a lot of stuff but when it comes to abortion um they have been on top of what they call as reproductive rights and my question is going to have ken explain that but one of the things that they talked about that was very scary. They said that here in Massachusetts already, there had been a jump in abortions from people from Texas and people from New Hampshire because those states had outlawed it. And Massachusetts is one of the most lenient and most protective for those who get abortions. So can you talk about how Massachusetts became this hub of places where people do come to get abortions because of this whole thing with the ACLU and things of that matter. You've been involved with this. This is because this has been a long time well, here in Massachusetts. Well, there's a couple of reasons. I think you're, if you're looking for a reason, no such reason exists. If you're looking for multiple reasons, I think the first thing we need to look at is the physical infrastructure. We have more hospitals, more importantly, more teaching hospitals in Massachusetts than anywhere else in New England. We also are one of the leaders in OBGYN care and abortions fall under that. We also have a record number of family planning clinics and prenatal and postnatal care. We are basically the, outside of New York City, which I think has had more hospitals than we do, 
we just it's a natural um, coalition of having the facilities here. Not only that, we had a number of people who are very active in both prenatal care and reproductive rights. And I think it's very important to understand abortion is one aspect of prenatal care and postnatal care and reproductive rights. The Massachusetts area hospitals were one of the first to look at female health independent of male health. There are different issues. Men and women have different needs when it comes to their health. Mm-hmm. Massachusetts was one of the first, believe it or not, this may sound shocking, it sounds almost that I'm, I'm, you know, trying to break this down on a kindergarten level, but there was a time where people didn't think there's any difference between men and fem- male and female health. Now, that sounds ridiculous today, but there was a time. Massachusetts, New York, and California led the, led the country in saying, no, females have different health concerns than men do. So that's a, a natural progression. Not only that, we have a large college and academia presence in Boston, which led the way for uh, for establishing this. We also have the infrastructure to house, feed, and transport people. You know, we we joke we joke about the traffic on I ninety three in the tunnel, but we have a, in Boston a fairly comprehensive mass transit system. And it also goes into as far north as southern New Hampshire and as far south as Providence, Rhode Island. So if you're a person in New England, it's fairly easy to use mass transportation to get to Boston, as opposed to maybe, believe it or not, going to Concord. Let's say if you live in Londonderry, New Hampshire, it's easier to get to Boston from Londonderry, New Hampshire, which is about 45 minutes away from here, than going from Londonderry to Concord, because there is no mass, mass transportation between Londonderry and Concord, which is about a half hour car ride away. But there is no mm-hmm. buses between those two cities. There are buses and trains that you can get to fairly easy from that to Boston. So I think that's the other reason was there was mass transportation that got you to Boston, uh, both rail and bus. And in some, some points you actually there was a time it no longer exists, but you get the ferries from there. Were, believe it or not, ferries from New Hampshire to Boston. They don't exist anymore, but they exist in the early seventies. They were saying that there have been some people that the ACLU has helped come from some of these states already and has provided yes. them with funding, funding to transport from Texas. Um, there was a gentleman on speaking. He represents the ACLU today, an older gentleman. Um, I rem- I thought he said the budget right now is five hundred thousand dollars to assist people yes. from these states. With can you get into that? That's Explain a very important. So how does that how does that work though? How do you qualify for those benefits to transport here out of a state that it's illegal? Well, depending on the organization you're talking about, most most if not all of these are private organizations that are using their own money to transport and house people in from states that do not allow abortions to states that do allow abortions. And most of them have a criteria, mainly financial, but not necessarily, that's saying, mm-hmm. that says, okay, you can't afford to go at, we'll transport you. Or you can afford to pay some and we'll pick up the rest of that tab. As a matter of fact, there's a Jewish organization whose name I'm going to massacre and Rob's going to yell at me. Uh, it, it basically translates, it's, it's Daughters of Hadassah. I don't know the Hebrew name, but basically Daughters of Hadassah 
has been doing this for years, not just for abortions. They will help you if you are a Jewish woman and you are in need of medical procedures that are not available in your community. They will hook you up with a with a Hadassah house in another city and put you up if you are financially unable to do so. I know I've donated money to that organization in my mother's name, uh, but that's going on for years. That's just not just for abortions. That's for any uh, health procedure. I, I don't know who said this, maybe Rob knows, but someone went on uh, MSNBC recently and said that this decision will have no effect on, uh, on rich Republican women because their daughters, mistresses, and wives will always, get, always have money to go get an abortion. This will have only effect on poor women, and that's true. But if I may, my sister, and I know I, I don't mean to jump in here, but something I've been dying to say. Yeah, I disagree with Majority Leader Schumer. This is not going to be a press. This is not going to be the, their shattering event, simply because Roe v. Wade, for all practical purposes, was overturned over thirty years ago, and there was a case called Planned Parenthood versus Casey. And what Planned Parenthood versus Casey did was it rewrote Roe. So if I may just give a quick background to Roe, if I may. Yeah, go ahead. Yep. Because some people might have missed the video before we started. Okay. Okay. What Roe v. Wade said, and correct me if I'm wrong, Robert, that abortions could not be, uh, the the outright ban abortions overturned. It was the first time that it says women have an absolute right, constitutional right to abortion. And what the court ruled was we called a trimester system, meaning tri meaning the breaking the three parts between month between the time of in, of in, in, uh, impregnation up to three months is what we call the first trimester, and the states were absolutely forbidden from doing any regulations regarding that. The second trimester, three to six months, the states were allowed to put limited restrictions only concerning health and safety. During the last trimester, six to nine months, they could be more aggressive, including outright bans on abortion. Okay. Now, that was between 1973 and 1992. In 1992, in the case of Planned Parenthood versus Casey, oh, I'm sorry, I'm jumping ahead. They also said that any abortion regulation would be subject to what we call the court called strict scrutiny. This is the death knell for any type of review. In order for you to survive strict scrutiny, you have to have, this law has to have an overwhelming importance to survive. So there's a presumption that that if you are gonna review this under strict scrutiny, there's no way this statute can survive. Only one case that I'm aware of, and Rob, correct me if I'm wrong, has ever survived strict scrutiny. And unfortunately, that was the famous Japanese internment case where we interned Japanese citizens. That was the only case as far as strict scrutiny that I'm aware of. Rob, correct me if I'm wrong, there are other cases. That's the death now. When Planned Parenthood Casey came along, they scrapped the trimester system. What they said is a very vague thing that says the, the, the states could, could, could restrict abortion, including banning it, once the, the fetus was viable. The problem with that is the court never defined what fetal viability was huge disaster basically so that's where you get the heartbeat rule and the 15 week rule coming from mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the other way they destroyed they overturned roe v wa was they instead of applying strict scrutiny they changed the burden to undue influence meaning as the statute would survive unless the plaintiff could prove there was an undue uh burden on the person seeking an abortion 
Now, to give you an example, give, try to explain the difference in those two things. Strict scrutiny is in New England is, if we're, let me go back, if we're using a football terminology, strict scrutiny mm. is the New England Patriots. That level of play, the New England Patriots is strict scrutiny. Undue influence is the Brockton High School box, uh, boxers, okay? So you can see it's a lot easier for such to survive at that level. I argue that Roe v. Wade was gone in 1992, except no one realized it, because since then, we've had a, literally an unfettered state regulations that have restricted, for all intents and purposes, abortion. For example, prior, prior to um, legislation in Texas, Texas had a law that required all abortions be formed in a hospital. They, that in most abortions in Texas were performed outpatient in small clinics. Now, this may not seem like a big deal to people in Massachusetts where we literally can't swing a dead cat without eating, hitting a hospital. <laughs> but I don't know if any of you guys been to Texas. I know, Rob, you were stationed in Texas, weren't you? Yep. Okay. Back me up on this. There are large swaths of Texas where there's literally nothing out there. And a hospital Truth. could be 10 or 12 hours away. Hmm. Matter of fact, one of my friend's uh, sons got, became a physician assistant and got his medical school, got the school paid for if he agreed to go in a rural area in Texas for two years where he was the only medical professional for 100 miles. Wow. Think about that. I want you to go any place in Mount. I'm willing. To, I'm willing to put money on this that you can't go any place in, in in Massachusetts without finding a medical professional within 100 miles of where you are. Anyone willing to challenge? Take me up on that. So when Texas passed this law, which on the book says, "Well, that doesn't sound so bad." You you know, this is a medical procedure. You should have a professional. You should have a hospital. And it, I think it was like 75 percent of Texas. That were not served by a local hospital. And a local hospital is determined by any hospital within 25 miles where you are sitting. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't clinics. There are a lot of them. There doesn't mean there aren't medical professionals. There are a lot of them. We're talking about doctors, nurse practitioners, or NPs and physician assistants that are running clinics, but those aren't hospitals. And that's what I mean. And I've gone, I've gone on, I've gone on for almost twenty minutes. I do apologize. We've, we've got some people in the chat with questions. Actually, uh, Steve Rita, Jackie Brown, Dave Haggerty, Paul Forrest. What's going on? I love you guys in the chat. Diana Conway is in the chat. Steve Rita says, "Ask about the AB two 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 three bill in California. Supposedly, it's." Killing babies 28 days after birth. I'm not sure if you guys are up on that that bill in California that he's talking about. Um, if so, we can speak on that if it comes to mind. Um, R squared, uh, are you familiar with that bill that this person's mentioning? The the, the AB two 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 three bill in California. No, I don't necessarily track California state laws unless it becomes an issue for something that we're talking about or or, or otherwise. In the description that you read in the chat, it said something about terminating a pregnancy 28 days after birth. Yeah, that's, I'm that's, thinking there's no. That, no, yeah. I'm no thinking. Uh, okay, okay. I'm familiar with this a little bit. Uh, first of all, let's decide what we're talking about. 
<laughs> no, you are not terminating pre pregnancy 28 days after birth because you can't terminate a pregnancy exactly. 28 days after birth. Okay. What this statute is talking about, and who, and it's it, again, I, I saw the same footnote when I saw it on one of my news feeds is this deals with a narrow exception when you have a child that is born with severe birth defects and who is clinically brain dead. This happens very, very seldom. But there are basically children who are born brain dead. Most of these children don't survive the birthing process. Most of these children die as a result of miscarriage, but there is a small minority who actually are physically alive, meaning their heart and I define they define this as their hearts are pumping but are, are in essence brain dead. Now under current California law, you have to wait for them to die naturally. Okay. This bill would say that after 20 if you are born 28 if you are born brain dead, here's the key thing you have to be at the time of birth you have to be already brain dead. And you continue to be brain dead for 28 days, and you need three neurologists to testify that you are allowed to use, in limited circumstances, euthanasia. The amount of times this happens is so small. This because what happened was, uh, I've written the article about this. Was there was a number of babies? I think there was like three in the last decade. This is this is how rare this is. We're talking the entire state of California. Yeah, I just pulled it Three up. Three yeah, babies. Keep, keep going. We're born. And the problem is, it, once they're alive, the hospital has to keep maintain them alive. And this could be millions and millions of dollars when they're brain dead. They're never going to come. They're never going to grow. They're just going to eventually going to die. Yeah, which is not abortion. This is not abortion. Right. It's not abortion. Right. So, it's not so I, different. I, so he, uh, Steve Rita says... It's different. Well, there is. There's, there's different aspects to the law. I actually just, yeah, I just pulled this AB 2223 bill up, the California Assembly bill. Uh, it was brought up in the 2021-2022 session. The existing law requires a, country, a county coroner to hold inquest to inquire into and determine the circumstances, manner, cause of violent, sudden, unusual deaths, including deaths related to following known or suspected self-induced or criminal abortions. Um, existing law requires coroner to register a fetal death after 20 weeks of gestation. Now, right. there are certain cases where things can happen to babies after 20 weeks of gestation. Um, one of the things you were allowed, if you knew that your child was going to be born with some type of genetic deformity, you were allowed to terminate the pregnancy. Right. Um, so this bill would delete the requirements. So what they're doing is they're, they're putting the coroner on on alert as to holding them accountable. Um, can you explain one of the things that, that is right. in this? That law? was the big thing but everyone there, was there, talking there's, about. Yeah. There's, there's several, right. there's several different instances where people will be screwed. Um, if, if it took, took away a pregnant person's right to choose, if they've been raped, uh, it, it is a whole thing. So if anybody wants to look it up, it's the AB right. two, 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 three California assembly bill. Um, it's the existing law is the Tom Bain Civil Rights Act. Um, and, and again, this is, you know, this is, this is dealing with civil 
and criminal liabilities. Um, we are at yeah. seven fifty-two, um, and yeah, it's, it's exactly kind of what Ken talked about. Um, and there is there is more to that bill. Um, yeah, it's a, any- it's a it's a modernization. It, it the problem is uh, they're trying to modernize when the coroner has to get involved and do it go do what call coroner's inquest or inquiry. And the simple reason is it's just it's just trying to save money. It's just very expensive right, to do these right, things. You're just right. it's resource management. Um, um, now, do we, Rob, who's been in the military, do we do we see a lot of court cases dealing with abortions in the military? And no, pretty much no. Not really. It's rare. Not really. Very rare. Um, it's not. It's not so a big issue. We are at whoa. We we are at seven seven fifty two. So I got two questions for you guys. Um, Again, obviously, at the beginning of this show, the first thing I said was is that this was a draft opinion. But as these guys have discussed tonight, there are very good reasons as to why we are seeing so many people upset and worried about this if it is overturned. I think what one of the things that people are worried about is the ripple effect. So I'm going to let these guys real quick talk about if this does what do you guys think the ripple effect will be? I'm going to start with our squid first. Yeah, no, happy to answer that. Uh, I, I thought Ken was going to start singing Charlie on the MTA for a minute there. when talking about all the trains and subways and what have you. And I was ready to get my beer out. Uh, but the, the, I think what's interesting about this is if the Supreme Court does what people are speculating from this opinion, if something along these lines, overturning Roe, overturning Casey, is what the outcome of this case is, it is the Supreme Court is not outlawing abortion. They don't have that power, nor would they seek to do that. This would simply be changing abortion from an action protected under the right of privacy under the Bill of Rights to something that's not protected by privacy under the Bill of Rights, or it is protected, but under the court scrutiny, they have determined that these restrictions are reasonable under the circumstances. And so worst case scenario, what the Supreme Court does by overturning these cases is you would have every state and the federal government having to enact whatever legislation they wanted to enact that would uh, that would govern, you know, when and if and how uh, uh, abortion would be available in that in that jurisdiction. And so there are already over 30 states that have abortion bans on the books. Either they have laws that remained on the books that were pre Roe versus Wade that would now come back into effect because they're on the books or that they have recently passed laws waiting for the Supreme Court to overturn Roe and Casey. And therefore, their their laws would now remain effective, like Texas and Mississippi and Florida and a bunch of others. And so. Uh, that's that's what would likely happen is that you'd now have a state by state decision and every every state legislature and governor is going to have to come to a decision on, you know, first of all, whether to do a ban and whether to have exceptions for rape and incest to protect the life of the mother. If you have a severely deformed baby, uh, you know, whether that be a time frame, there are so many different issues that you, you could possibly see, you know, a, a huge combination of different provisions in different states. You know, if uh, 
you know, the court is not supposed to make decisions based on public opinion. They're supposed to be making decisions based on what the law says, but elected officials do make decisions based on public opinion. And so it's not what the majority of people in the United States would think. It's what the majority of people in each district would think. And so you're going to have members of Congress, you're going to have senators, you're going to have state representatives at different levels, all now having to pay more attention to what the majority opinion is in, those, in their jurisdictions and to see whether there is a majority opinion in the legislature that, uh, that could amount to some kind of a ban or not. Best case scenario, that's worst case scenario, best case scenario is the Supreme Court does allow for these restrictions because they have weakened uh, the protections for abortion, but without overturning Casey. And by simply saying that, you know, one of the big challenges, I think Ken alluded to this, one of the huge challenges in Roe versus Wade was the fact that it was based on the medical evidence available in the 1960s and early 1970s, I suppose. And Justice Blackmun did a great job, if you, if you like what he did, uh, in collating a whole bunch of medical evidence to come up with what is the level of viability of a baby at the different trimester level, which is how we got to that uh, Roe versus Wade decision. And in the 1960s and early 70s, uh, a baby in the first trimester, there were no signs of life and, and no viability. And so it was easy for the court to say that the, that the government had no interest, no ability to regulate abortion in the first trimester, whereas in the third trimester, you had signs of life, you had signs of viability, and that there was an interest in the government in, in being able to regulate to some extent abortion rights. And then Casey made it an undue burden instead of you know, a strict scrutiny approach. And so what's happened with medical evidence in you know, the last decades is overall, it's a good thing, obviously, because you now have the ability to determine what would be evidence of life at an earlier stage. You know, everybody can still use their, their faith, their, their personal belief system in what actually constitutes life and what would be evidence of life. But medically speaking, you can detect signs of life that read together can reach the conclusion earlier in a pregnancy than you could in the 1960s when they were formulating the Roe case up through the courts. Right. And, and similar to that, you have viability. It used to be that, you know, you, you would, uh, a baby would almost have to make it through eight months, you know, to, to be able to survive prematurely. And now, you know, you can have, you know, what, what's, I don't know what the record is and I don't want to misspeak. I don't want to trigger anybody, you know, who's gone through some difficult periods, but four or five months it's, it's happened where babies can be saved. And so, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it's still rare, but it can happen. And so it, it's the, the, the evidence, the medical evidence has, has changed dramatically in 50 years. Um, mm -hmm. And that's, what's complicated this because now you could make the argument that when the state wasn't protecting life, in some cases, as the scale evolves, they, they are arguably protecting life in some way along the lines, or at least you could make that argument based on which side of the issue you know, you're, you're arguing, whether, whether there's sufficient evidence and signs of, of life, meaning viability, whether the baby can survive outside of the womb or not. And, you know, and, and so that, it, it's a good thing that technology has allowed you know, doctors to, to do these things, but it, it, it certainly, you know, from a legal standpoint, complicates the issue of abortion rights and where the state has an interest in regulating what is otherwise a personal, private medical decision between a wife uh, and her family and her doctor and her, her clergy and, and what have you. And, and so, 
That's the challenge right now. And so if the court is simply going to recognize that, then that calls into question some level of the protections, especially the more advanced a pregnancy gets. And so that's where some of the states have come in with this 15, uh, 15 month thing, where they're saying that, that there are signs of life or sufficient signs of life, uh, extensive signs of life and the potential for viability uh, after 15 months. And so that's why they've gone back there at that level. And, and there's still dispute over whether that's the right time frame. I'm not conceding that as an issue, but that's what's happened. That's what's made these laws far more viable, even under a Casey analysis you could almost maintain the Casey rule and allow restrictions at a certain time frame, shy of what it used to be. Wow. But we're at eight o'clock. We're at the top of the hour. We did, we did this. And um, let me just get in here real quick. I got to mention all these guys for my beanies. Thank you for supporting my beanies. These are the shows that I broadcast and, Involved with co-production, Sinistorm Productions. Thanks for everybody for coming out to the Kicking It Old School and Murder the Mike Vibes. And there's our t-shirt winner, Felicia. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to the show tonight. I'm going to get ready to get out of here let these guys say their goodbyes real quick. We're going to close it out with one final question for these guys so we can get out of here. Um, my final question and let you guys say your goodbyes. Do you think SCOTUS will follow through with all the uproar right now? Um, I'm going to start with Ken first. Do you think they'll fall through? You can say your goodbyes. I honestly have no idea. And I will fall back on the famous Mark Twain saying people should be very careful about making predictions, especially about the future. There is a reason why this is the first time in history that we're seeing a draft. These drafts are kept under wraps for a reason. Mm-hmm. As Rob yeah. said, said, you know, best case, worst case mm-hmm. scenario or something in between. You know, and exactly the science has changed. I know for a fact that my youngest nephew, Eli, was born at five and a half months and he survived and is doing great. So now he was born, uh, you know, 16 years ago. So he was born in 2006. If he had been born the same year I was born or Rob was born, he wouldn't have made five minutes. Right. There's no way. Right. But now he's. Right. So again, again, exactly. And also, I haven't seen the actual text of the Alito draft. I don't think it's actually been, been published. The full text, I don't think it's been published. It's very important to find out what the details are. So all I can say is before anyone opens their mouth, please read the goddamn decision and find out if it's a concurring opinion, a dissenting opinion, or the decision of the court. That Those are the three questions we don't know. And that's the, as we used to say back in the day, $64,000 question. And on that, I'd like to thank all of our viewers and listeners, all 12 of you, everyone out there, be safe, stay informed. We'll see you next month. Man, yeah, definitely stay informed on this one. Uh, Squid, same question, and then we close it out with you, man. I do believe that the, that I feel it's inevitable that there are five votes to, if not outright overturn Roe and Casey to dramatically change the nature of abortion rights going forward uh, for reasons that I just explained because of the medical evidence and the ability for the state to argue successfully that they have a compelling interest in additional regulation. Whether or not it's an outright ban or not is different. Every state will make that decision, but I think the, the door is open now to the states 
to increase the amount of, 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 uh, of regulation and restriction that they want to. Uh, and maybe it won't be an all out ban, but it'll be something. Uh, so that's what I'm convinced will come from this decision. Um, other than that, I, I appreciate the opportunity to, to join you guys on this issue. It's, uh, it, 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 this is obviously one of those decisive, uh, divisive issues. Uh, people have very, very strong feelings. Most people can't discuss it without getting emotional, without bringing in non-legal issues into it. Uh, I hope that, uh, certainly we didn't do that tonight. I certainly hope that what we shared was a way for people to understand the legal issues, which is really what the Supreme Court is dealing with. And what I hope that the state legislatures and Congress will deal with would be the legal issues. Um, obviously politics is, is part of the legislative process, not the judicial process. Uh, but, but I hope that this is the way that this, this issue gets approached into doing something that balances the nature of our rights under the Constitution, specifically the Bill of Rights, which has stood the, stand of, uh, the, the test of time and uh, is something that we need to take very seriously, uh, along with the idea that, um, that legislators have to serve their communities and you know, do what is in the best interest of the nation. So I, I hope that the discussions could be similar to this and not like some of those crazy confirmation hearings we have uh, and, and some of the crazy rallies that I'm seeing sometimes on the TV right now. So I really appreciate everybody's attention uh, and, and thanks for the opportunity to discuss these things tonight. Yeah, it's, it's, it was a great show tonight. I want to thank you guys for coming on. And it just seems like, you know, I hate to say it, we're blessed sometimes the timing of things, you know, this comes down and tonight you guys are on. It's the first of the month and you guys are on. You know, we've had our issues with, with January 6th happened two nights after we were on and we, we kind of predicted and was worried about what was going to happen and it happened. So, you know, I want to thank everybody for tuning in the show. Dave Haggerty, thanks for letting me know. The Celtics are up by 25. So if you saw my eyes get real big, that's wow. Dave Haggerty just put in the chat that the Celtics are up by 25 and my eyes lit up. So it was nothing to what Rob was saying. I wasn't giving him the eye slide. It was the fact that he I put saw that your in eyes, there. but I had no idea you were looking at the basketball <laughs> game. Wow. Yeah, no, no. Somebody put it in the chat because I'm not watching the game right now, but somebody dropped it in our live chat. And said the Celtics were up by 25. So I was like, whoa. So, uh, guys, I got to thank everybody for tuning in the show, 806. Everybody for watching the show around the world. Um, also, Brockton Cable Access. And I'm hearing that we might be getting on Abington Cable Access. Um, I got to thank everybody for tuning into the show, hanging out with us. Um, Triple Threat Tuesdays, Oscar Mike Radio on Thursdays. Gloria Shea, all you guys hanging out. But tonight, Maddie C Sports for you and me. Happy out with Lido. And um, SpongeBob, hey, do me a favor. Take us home. Oh, wait, before SpongeBob takes us home, June 7th, you saw the promo, people. June 7th, Brockton Cable Access. Live. The booth. Ken Diesel. R Squared. Live show. Brockton Cable Access. Rob will be here from Florida. We will be doing the show live with a live studio audience, Brockton Cable Access, in June. Ken, why do you have a questionable look on your face like we haven't talked about this already? No, I'm sorry. I was reading something else. I was reading. Oh. I'm sorry. I... <laughs> Ken had a look on his face like, what's he talking about? I'm like, no, no. I, someone had just texted me something in an unrelated case. And it's just like, uh, so, Rob, uh, I'm sorry. Here. June 7th is our next first Tuesday. It will be live at Brockton Cable Access. And, hey, guys, thank you for tuning into the show. SpongeBob, do me a favor. Take us home.
Well, see you next Tuesday. Thank you for listening to The Booth on Hoobazoo and HatcherRadio.com. Please follow the Facebook page and subscribe to the podcast at Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. The Booth is a Sinister One production hosted by Sinister One. I've got to start hanging out with friends that are a little more intelligent and understand politics and stuff. It's just that I'm up on this level up here and all my friends are down here. Me, nah. You guys, nah. Maybe a little more down, down here. Screw you guys, I'm going home. I smoke, I drink, I do my thing. These bitches hating, so you know I got to make it plain. Don't do cocaine with your chick, my main. We stick together, true forever, yeah, you know we bang. I miss those days, which was easy. If only I made it, don't repeat. Now that I done upgraded, I've been upstate, but y'all think I'm playing. And I got a hit now for these weak assholes who think I ain't slaying. Try me, try me, and I'll probably end up laughing because I never back down. I'm that chick with a clean ass whip. I don't need that shit because I got my own now. I get hot, I get tired of fussing, fighting, guess I gotta crack down. Don't mess with me, cause on everything, I'ma have to bring the whole city out.